1: Hello everyone, welcome back to the Disability Study Channel on the New Books Network. This is Shu Wan, the episode host. So today I feel very happy to invite Dr. Gerald O'Brien to join us to introduce his newest book, Eugenics, Genetics and Disability in Historical and Contemporary Perspective. So the first question I want to I want to ask today is that I um to invite Dr. O'Brien to introduce himself to us.
0: Thanks, Yuan and, and uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about my book. Uh, I was a uh, social work professor for 25 years, mostly in Illinois at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville. Uh, prior to that, most of my social work experience was disability-related. And um, basically, uh, I, uh, I recently retired last year. I'm an emeritus professor at this point uh, and um, during the course of my uh, employment, uh, I wrote uh, about two dozen um, peer-reviewed uh, articles as well as five books, uh, and uh, the one we'll be talking about is my most recent one.
1: Okay, thanks so much. So the next question I want to ask is that what's the reason you take interest in the promising field of disability studies?
0: Well, again, I worked in disability for most of my um, social work career. I was particularly involved with uh, individuals with intellectual or developmental disabilities, uh, primarily as a uh, director of a a day training program. And during the course of that time, I became very interested in historical issues and um, ethical issues, other concerns related to um, persons with disabilities and how the, the um, general uh, population uh, views and responds to um, those individuals.
1: Okay, thank you so much for your answer. So now let's turn to your book. So the first question about book I want to ask is that I want to invite you to briefly talk about the history of the eugenics movement.
0: Right. And in my book, um, the recent one, uh, the historical section is fairly brief, in part because there have been a lot of books written on eugenics, obviously. So I just wanted to give people a a general introduction to the topic. Um, Some of the things that uh, I focus on are the long history of eugenics, even before the term was created. Uh, You know, uh, some form of uh, population control based on uh, the presumptive uh, uh, abilities, characteristics of uh, individuals has been in place, you know, going back to Plato. Um, One of the things that I focus on that um, I think people oftentimes don't understand related to eugenics is that uh, it was not some odd movement at the time. Uh, eugenics was uh, roundly supported um, by a broad range of individuals, including many people who were quite famous uh, and uh, quite well respected. Uh, and so I think if, um, you know, there's anything that uh, I would want to uh, kind of get through to folks, it's, it's that, that eugenics was not unusual in any way <laughs> during its heyday. Um, and, you uh, As many people know, uh, the German Nazi eugenic program, um, to a certain extent, uh, uh, was informed by the program in the United States, uh, which to a large extent came earlier. There were many individuals in the U.S., leaders of the movement, who uh, still embraced eugenics uh, even uh, after the Nazis kind of took it on uh, until really... Uh, later in the war, when the euthanasia T4 program started in 1939, uh, American eugenicists started to turn away from it. But even after eugenics kind of lost uh, most of its support, it was retained uh, in many states, especially southern states, it uh, bled into the uh, welfare programs. Um, And my book, to a large extent, is targeted uh, for social workers. Uh, And that's one of the important aspects of uh, eugenics uh, for us to be aware of because um, uh, it was used in a a very race-based way and uh, uh, gender-specific way uh, targeted at females, poor females, and specifically African-American females uh, in relation to the uh, welfare provisions, okay, women not being given extra money if they uh, had uh, other children, and those types of things. So uh, it, it continued on uh, under a kind of a covert format.
1: Thanks so much for your answer. For the next question, I'm wondering how the eugenic movement impacted person with disabilities.
0: Well. Uh, most people understand um, that, at least the folks who, who um, have read about eugenics, know that uh, individuals who are feeble-minded, uh, especially morons, uh, that was the uh, technical term at the time. The term moron was created in uh, uh, 1910, I believe, by Henry Goddard, and was designed as kind of a catch-all category for a broad range of individuals who were um, uh quote unquote undesirable so these were not necessarily individuals who were um, intellectually disabled uh, IQ tests at the time obviously were very not very good uh, and they could be utilized uh, to um, uh, you, you know bring in a broad range of uh, presumptive, unfit individuals, uh, immigrants uh, from unfavored countries, and again, poor people. Um, One of the things I focus on in the book uh, is the um, secondary populations that were targeted, especially the secondary disabled populations. Uh, People with mental illness, for example, uh, were targets, but not to the degree that individuals with intellectual disabilities were, in part because um, the, the presumption was that a lot of those individuals were past their childbearing age uh, when they um, uh, became uh, diagnosed, uh, also because uh, institutions for people with mental illness were already, uh, had already been developed, um, and so there was less need um, with that group. Uh, persons with epilepsy, seizure disorders, there was a, a large degree of overlap between uh, those individuals and people with intellectual disabilities. Um, so I look at some of the other groups also um, that were kind of targeted, uh, as most people know, and I, I didn't talk about uh, in terms of what eugenics is. Again, I kind of assume that many people know, but again, um you know, finding ways to either uh, support uh, the procreation of groups that we believe are fit or um, to keep people who we believe are unfit from breeding. Um, And uh, the the primary targets were individuals with disabilities. But as I said um, a few minutes ago, this graded over into – targeting uh, individuals who were poor, immigrants, other groups. Uh, and again, as most people know that the primary methods of uh, uh, eugenics were sterilization, forced sterilization, uh, institutionalization, uh, and uh, restrictive marriage policies in many states.
1: Thank you so much for your answer. I totally agree with you. I I want to say as a disability historian, when we talk about the influence of eugenics on American people with disability, in my personal view, the first thing come comes to my mind is the inf, I mean, infamous and notorious statement, three generations of imbecile enough, in the legal case of Buck versus Bell. Yeah, but as you say, actually, beyond those people with intellectual disability, all the, I mean, people with all kinds of disability were affected by eugenics eugenics movement. Yeah. So, well, and,
0: and, oh, I'm sorry, but I, I know that I, I've seen some of your other podcasts and I, I realize that you've had some of um, uh, some eugenics authors on there. And yeah, the three generations of imbeciles uh, statement uh, kind of sticks out.
1: <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for your answer. So for the next question, I'm wondering about the interrelationship between eugenics and the burgeoning social work profession.
0: Right. One of the reasons that I wrote the book is because many people uh, in the disability studies community um, have had um, problematic uh, experiences with uh, the social work community, the rehab community, uh, medical communities, and uh in part because uh, social workers oftentimes view disability from a uh, medical uh, model perspective as opposed to a minority model perspective. Um, And so I wanted to kind of um, highlight that, that um, oftentimes the way that we view individuals with disabilities is not necessarily um, uh, an appropriate way. And um, one of the things that I try to get at is the, the, Dual messages that we send to people with disabilities, and not only in social work, but in our culture. Mm-hmm. Okay, two messages that are uh, uh, don't go well together. Uh, that the first message is uh, you are supported, uh, you are. We're going to do what we can to help you. Provide accommodations um, and uh, ensure that you're not discriminated against. Uh, The uh, second message is uh, it would be um, probably a good thing if more people like you were not born. (laughs) Okay, And so things like, uh, you know, uh, prenatal testing and uh, that type of thing, you know, uh, perfectly fine. And uh, these are messages that don't sit well. With uh, pe- many people with disabilities, they see them as uh, very uh, uh, problematic. Uh, so uh, that, that's one of the things that I wanted to kind of uh, bring home to um, the social work community, especially uh, that we need to kind of uh, understand, um, you know, the fact that uh, the, the kind of broad messages that we send to people with disabilities um, uh, are are important, and oftentimes um, we need to kind of uh, recalibrate, you know, where we are.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for your answer again. So for the next question, I want to invite you to talk about the relationship of Lake Layoff between historical eugenics and the contemporary bioethical issues as well as the role of a social worker community within the context of less issues.
0: Right. Yeah. And this is something that's become particularly important recently because um, we've always had, uh, at least for, for quite a few decades, uh, uh, we've been able to do prenatal testing um, and uh, selective abortion and um, other such things uh Uh, embryos, um, you know, uh, pre-implementation screening of embryos, uh, and those types of things. So negative eugenics, uh, if you will, uh, connected with these bioethical issues has been uh, in place for quite a while, okay? Uh, There have been concerns how far we'll go with that, uh, which conditions are problematic enough. Uh, for us to target. Um, But importantly, we're now creeping into the area of um, actual uh, genetic change, genetic engineering, okay? Instead of just testing and uh, selecting, um, actually being able to uh, change one's genetics. Uh, This uh, CRISPR is perhaps the most well-known of these. Uh, CRISPR is a technique uh, where we can send messages biologically and apparently this is not a very difficult thing to do. Um, You don't need to have a a, a high-tech lab to do it, but you can send uh, messages uh, genetically through our uh, DNA uh, into the body and perhaps uh, cut out certain um, uh, parts of one's uh, genetic code and perhaps even replace that. So a lot of the things that have been in the science fiction realm for many decades uh, now are perhaps things that we're looking at, okay? So people are familiar with Gattaca, okay, and and, uh, other such things. Gattaca, the movie about uh, uh, genetic engineering. And so there are a lot of interesting, important questions that we're going to have arrive um, over the next few decades And those questions will not only implicate social workers, because social workers are involved in uh, many medical rehab settings, uh, but also uh, they will um, very directly uh, implicate people with disabilities. Okay. Uh, People who have disabilities now, people who uh, might be diagnosed with having disabilities. Um, One of the areas that... uh, CRISPR is being used with, uh, right now is, um, uh, oh man, no, I have forgotten it but there have been tests going on and, uh, these have been, uh, somewhat successful. There are many, uh, situations, um, you know, diseases, disabilities, which, uh, no one should have. And that, uh, if we can, uh, get rid of them, uh, we certainly should. Um, but, uh, Again, that leads to the question of uh, how far do we go? And in disability studies, as one might guess, uh, one of the main diagnoses that uh, comes into play with all of this is Down syndrome. Okay. Uh, We see... Down syndrome as a condition, as a uh, diagnosis that no one should have, okay? And yet people with Down syndrome uh, don't necessarily see it that way. Uh, And, uh, you know, so um, there are a lot of ethical questions that are going to arise. Uh, One of the other important ethical questions will relate to how much uh, various... technology's cost, okay? Are we going to see uh, an increased bifurcation of society because uh, wealthy people can uh, make their children um, more athletic or or more intelligent? Um, You know, again, all those things that have been in the science fiction realm, uh, we're potentially going to be looking at uh, how to deal with those fairly soon.
1: Thank you so much for your answer. So the next question about for the next question, I'm wondering about the current bioethical issues from perspective of a minority group model of a disability.
0: Um, can you run that by me again? My, how minority groups are affected by um by these
1: issues. Yeah, just I'm wondering about the the current bioethical issues from the perspective of a minority group model of disability. Curative issues? Yeah, I think, uh, again, that kind of gets
0: into those issues of uh, who's going to be um, uh, able to receive these services, to what extent uh, is um, uh, our healthcare system going to be um, involved in that. And uh, if we have again, a uh, bifurcation of society based on insurance coverage and those types of things, that would obviously uh, uh, secondarily um, have uh, uh, racial implications and minority implications. Um, One of the issues that uh, is potentially troubling in the future is if individuals uh, have a diagnosis for a potential child and um, they choose to carry that child to term, there may be questions about why should um, health insurance pay for that? Uh, why should uh, the public uh, support um, uh, that child, uh, the raising of that child? If the parents made that decision, shouldn't that be on them? And so there will be a lot of very problematic issues that are going to have to be discussed. And uh, these are particularly um that they play out differently in our nation in the United States, as opposed to nations with universal health coverage um, for a variety of issues that were pretty, uh, uh, are pretty obvious. Um, and, uh, you know, so again, uh, they they are going to, um, the, this is an issue that social work uh, has focused on is, Allowing access um, to um, uh, testing and to treatment to um, uh, uh, you know individuals who might not afford that, um, you know, so uh, all of those those uh, issues are going to be very very important in the future.
1: Thank you so much for your answer again. So at the end, our um, my last question today is that I want to invite you to talk about implication of those various issues you discussed today and for the social now the social work profession.
0: Right, right. And much of that I've, I've talked about, but again, social work is going to uh, be, uh, this, these issues are going to relate to the profession in a pretty broad variety of ways. Uh, one of the things that I, I do that uh, opens the book and um, it's my first chapter, it gets back to that issue of those dual messages that we send. And I talk about that in terms of uh, two chapters from Social Work Speaks. And Social Work Speaks is kind of um, uh, the voice of the profession in that it's a group of social workers from throughout the nation who gets together and um, Every so many years, and they talk about uh, certain um, policy issues and policy uh, recommendations. And the two ish, the two chapters that I focus on are the persons with disabilities chapter and the uh, genetics chapter. And the persons with disabilities chapter. Um, basically focuses on those things I mentioned before, supporting people with disabilities, ensuring that there's not discrimination and um, so on and so forth. Whereas the genetics chapter focuses on uh, allowing uh, uh, freedom of choice and um, to parents. And one of the things that I mentioned in the book is you can't get into these issues without obviously uh, getting into the broader pro-life, pro-choice movement, okay? One of my concerns is not so much, first of all, I I start out the book saying um, I have no um, judgment on parents. I do not um, want to put any additional guilt on them. I am not saying that they need to carry Uh, a child to term, regardless of what the condition might be. But my broader concern is that there are aspects of our culture that are going to uh, reinforce um, a decision to terminate um, uh, pregnancies if a child is uh, found to be disabled. Okay. Um, And those uh, reinforcers may be social, OK, uh, again, individuals saying that uh, it's inappropriate that uh, they're carrying that child term. Uh, they may be, again, um, uh, financial. OK, uh, if, if uh, we put financial burdens on individuals, on, on parents based on that, then uh, that's going to sway their decision, perhaps. And so my concern is not so much. Uh, parents. They, they, they are in a very difficult situation and I'm in no position to judge uh, where they go. My, my concern, much more so uh, are the messages that society sends and um, the potential um, uh, disincentives or incentives that are built in, okay in relation to those decisions. Um, and so getting back to, again, those two chapters, the genetic chapter, again, focuses on uh, freedom, uh, uh, the, the right to uh, have uh, testing and make decisions and um, allowing that uh, support for that, especially for people who are uh, of limited means. But one of the problems that uh, occurs with those two chapters is in the disability chapter the term that is always used is disability. Okay, in the genetics chapter, the terms the term disability is hardly used at all. Okay, uh, it's disease. Okay, it's it's the more uh, problematic uh, kind of uh, synonyms for uh, disability, uh, and so there's no really connection uh, between these two. Um, uh, these two chapters, these two um, messages, and so again, it, it kind of comes out uh, uh, to many people with disabilities that uh, we're going to support you. But uh, you know, if, if uh, you know there are fewer people like you in the future, then that's that's a perfectly fine thing. So,
1: okay, thanks so much for your answer again. So at the end of our talk today, I want to directly. Talk to my ultra audience. So, all my listeners, I mean, as a disability historian, I highly recommend you to take a look at Dr. Gerald O'Brien's news book, Eugenics, Genetics, and Disability in Historical and the Contemporary Perspective. If you are you take any interest in either disability history or social network, or you just want to know further your knowledge about interaction between eugenics, genetics, and disability, I personally highly recommend to recommend you to consider buying a copy of this fantastic book.
0: Can can I add? I'm sorry, Xiwan. Uh, can I just add one thing real quick? because I forgot to talk about this, but I think it's one of the things in the book that is um, novel that it really hasn't uh, been um, discussed uh, really at all in the literature is the growth of the social work um, profession um, in relation to the eugenics alarm period, because social work grew up during that era. Okay. And so, uh, the relationship between the two is very interesting. And that's something that I take up in one of the chapters is, um, you know, the fact, again, that the uh, early social workers, by and large, were uh, fairly supportive of uh, uh, many of the, um, you know, eugenic goals. So anyway, I think that's one of the uh, benefits of, of the book that, uh, you know, really hasn't been researched much elsewhere.
1: Thank you so much for your, for your supplemental, I mean, Comments, especially about the contribution of your book to our understanding of the relationship between the rise of social work, not social work profession, and the eugenics, as not only, only as a policy but as a, a big social cultural phenomenon in in the early twentieth century. So, uh, thank you so much for you for joining us today, and thank you. So, have a good day.
0: And thank you for inviting me again. I appreciate it.